Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Swim podcast. Welcome to Swim Podcast, episode number eight. Uh, the someone who isn't me is author, composer, musician, and frontman for Killing Joke, Mr. Jazz Coleman. And I knew that speaking with him would be like a f- make for a fascinating interview. And we cover topics like punk rock and mysticism and ecology and magic and politics and performance. But it shoots off on tangents. And I should point out that this is the first interview where my I don't want to sound like a crazy person filter was totally disengaged. Um, So if at any point you think I sound like a crazy person, that'll be why. The book that I keep referring to is Jazz's book called Letters from Scythera, which if this podcast interests you, you should definitely like look at picking up because it's amazing. I'm still going through it uh, along with a few other things as well at the moment, but it's an incredible and multifaceted read, much like the man who wrote it. So without further ado, Jazz Coleman. When I knew that this was going to happen, I was was really happy in it, and it's come around quicker than I thought it would as well, (laughs) because I wanted to get through the book. And I, then as soon as I started reading it, I realised I wasn't going to for quite some time. No, 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 no. no. And, uh, and I don't mean that in any way to have like a derog- sound. No, it's not, it's not, you can't speed read it, no. No. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and there's so much to cover. So uh, I guess um, if we start talking about the band first and then see sure. where we end up. Sure. Something that I wanted to say straight off the bat is like all of these that I've done so far, I have a very definite view of where music and art comes from each of these podcasts it generally gets to sort of two thirds of the way through and then we start to touch on that and most of the people so far have agreed that I think that it is something that when you are making art be it music, visual art I believe that you're projecting things that aren't necessarily just from an internal source sure I agree with you, you're downloading from a cosmic source yes Yes. And that generally comes about in two thirds of the way through, and all the other ones. And and I always worry because I think people are going to look at me like I'm bonkers. But I feel that we you look prob- a bit mad. To, to be exactly. Touched, right? But <laughs> I think I think it's this, like I've been living in the woods, making pipe bombs. But um, but I That's feel pretty good. That that's just that's quite accurate. Yeah. I figured we could probably get into that quite quickly, because when you started the band, like you know, just going through the book, mm. I, I found that um. I found it really interesting that that very quickly that it came about that when there were the two of you and then you decided you you needed to get other members of the band, the way in which you went about it was incredible through an ad in the NME and a magic ritual. That's right. You know, well, the the funny thing was, um, uh, I mean, I'm I'm remembering my 
early conversations with Big Paul, I've been hanging out with him and, and living with him for quite quite a long time. And, and we looked at the problem of how the hell were we going to find two of the guys who who sort of uh, shared our sort of political anarchic outlook and had a sort of revolutionary um, approach to, to to their instruments and similarly had a sort of esoteric slant. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I didn't really know where Big Paul was coming from until I said to him, look, how the, it's a tall order. How are we going to get um, these kind of qualities in two other people and how the hell are we going to find them? And Paul was the one who said, magic. We're going to do it by magic. And up until that moment in time, I hadn't really told Paul of my involvement in the occult. And he hadn't told me of his involvement in the occult. So that was like, we've got a lot to talk about from that moment onwards, you know. And from that moment, actually, that must have been about, um, that must have been, I'm just trying to think of the year, that must have been um, around about early summertime, May, maybe earlier than that, of 1978, maybe even earlier than that. Uh, that we had that conversation, and uh, um, as soon as uh, we we uh, agreed on the principle, um, Paul was very adamant that um, we should study for about four months in preparation for the ritual, which is what we did. Yeah. And, and in that time, we we really really studied studied, um, you know, the Rosicrucian Golden Dawn system of magic. Took what we could from it and applied what we could to uh, lifted what we wanted to take and applied it to our own purposes. Of course, um, I, I don't know what everyone's aware of when we actually did the ritual. Uh, you know, I took the compass points of the circle um, from the church down the road, not having a compass, and and uh, and uh, I got the. the the cardinal points wrong so our east was actually south okay. and uh, if anyone's aware of the, the station of the south south is where set or shaitan or and all these kind of energies prometheus um, um come from the south and um that in effect is what we uh, invoked and what has stayed with us all these years uh, and it has sustained us i may add i think so as well as a band uh coming out in that that era as well that was aside from from what you were doing musically being such its own thing but I think that's probably you know music is the sum of the parts involved and what frustrated and me things. about music at that time because I, I loved I loved the first wave of punk and the energy from this yeah. and then I, I loved the kind of second wave of punk with the punky reggae party thing that Marley kind of brought to the equation and the reggae bass lines but then there, there was something still really missing for me, and it wasn't until Killing Joke and Joy Division that um, we really started to address that. And that was the, the element of mysticism in yes. music, which was kind of anathema to punks at the time, um, to, to have any element of mysticism. And, and it's something that we embraced. Uh, and, I, and I know that Ian Curtis also embraced it too. Hmm. And so the, the, there was a small pocket of um, the, the third wave of punk, as I should call it, which is... Um, Public Image Limited, uh, Killing Joke and Joy Division. Uh, I think were key key members, uh, players like in that movement. Um, we took the the mystical thing. I think in the third wave of punk, uh, we, uh, and we ran with it, uh, and and we still are because it, there is something mystical about Killing Joke when you hear. It. I'm I'm a it might surprise people, but I'm a I'm a huge fan of Killing Joke. If I wasn't in the band, I would be. I, I would love Killing Joke. I, I mean, I adore them as a band. I actually am separate from this band. I can be outside of this band and say, that band, I really like. They are sincere. 
that's my favourite band. Then I find I'm actually in the band. Yeah. And it's this kind of strange relationship. I think we all have that relationship with Killing Joke, in Killing Joke, uh, as it were. We, we stand outside of it, and it's something that we worship. Yeah. It's something that we, we adore. It's like the first four lines of Schiller's Ode to Joy. It's a sacred place, you know? Uh, um, and, and, of course, um, there's been so many times in our career where there's absolutely there's no money at all but but everybody comes to the table there's this this fire that drives us together and um literally uh, uh, literally literally and uh, yeah. uh, and it's so much part of our lives you see uh, for you to understand how we view killing joke killing joke is the medium that gave us everything it nourished our lives killing joke was uh, uh, our university uh, uh, our way into the business our everything it became our university. I mean, I thought all bands were like our band. I thought that everybody um, uh, swapped books and uh, and had debates and talked about the esoteric and and uh, and Big Brother and the political system and 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 the rise of corporations. I thought all bands did this, but I found that they don't. And <laughs> actually, when I've looked at other bands over the years, I realised I couldn't be in any other group but Killing Joke. They they all bore me to tears. I have nothing in common with any of these 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 musicians, musicians as it were, I mean, uh, there's no common ground. Maybe Jimmy Page, that's about it. Most definitely Jimmy Page. <laughs> that's something, I, th I thought this would be bouncing around as, as far as things that get mentioned. Something I heard, I mean, you, you don't have to, if it's not true, then it's not true, and if it is true, you don't have to comment on it if you don't want to, but I heard that um, you were one of the few people that Jimmy Page gave access to his, to his collection, his book collection. And he has an incredible collection of. I think outside of the Vatican, it's, it's one of the best collections in the world. Really? Yeah, I think the Rothschilds have got a big occult collection. <laughs> but I mean, I yeah. think um, no, sincerely. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, uh, ever since uh, I've known Jimmy, and uh, when I started my career, uh, Jimmy had a, a bookshop called the Equinox just off off uh, Kenny High Street, yeah. and that had just closed. In fact. Youth went round there when he was tripping off his head trying to get in, trying to squat the place. I think one time, um, uh, but 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 Jimmy was very much a collector then. And, and um, uh, back in about seventy eight, seventy nine, I used to go to different bookshops and try and get first editions and find first first editions that I could sell to Jimmy because he he was a collector of first editions and like yes, his, his collection is just something else. I uh, yeah. Uh, if anybody's interested in in occult books, I don't think. Uh, I mean, what can I say? I I remember at the time I first went into the library, uh, Jimmy was um, moving everything around, and it's this huge, huge, huge room, and all the books were piled up about um, four foot high, and I remember finding the original copy of the Book of the Law just just lying there on one of these piles, you know. Yeah, and, uh, and, and quite a few other huge occult masterpieces that he's got in there. And I, I spent all day there, and it was a, it was a remarkable time. And, uh, but um, I can't really talk about how Killing Joke met uh, members of Led Zeppelin. I can't talk about that. Okay. Because it's a, it's a very strange circumstances. But strange circumstances occur when like-minded people are, are, are I was going to say not drawn together, but it's almost like things happen to make situations occur. Is it one of those type of things? Yeah, you don't. Well, well I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, the the time I I I, I met Led Zeppelin and some members of the Stones, it, it, 
you know, um, how shall I put this? There were members of lower members of the royal family and all sorts of people that were around then and um, it, it, you just wouldn't believe it but I can't really talk about it that, okay. that period um, but but, but uh, I have a great affection for for Jimmy I consider him like a, my, my spiritual father in some ways hmm. in some ways because he's he, he's trodden the path that I'm I'm following in some ways hmm. in some ways you know you know, here we are uh, in, in, in our modern world and, uh, you know, the orthodox interpreters of the spirit that I think, uh, generally speaking, they've, 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 they've failed mankind as, as orthodox interpreters of the human spirit. And um, so it's been left to our generation to, to um, find some sort of spiritual compass, as mm. it were. Uh, and that's been a huge journey to find out what is true, what is false. And some of the paths that I've followed, I've I've looked at some of, um, you know, when we look at people like Alistair Crowley, for example, would you, would you let this person um, uh, babysit your children? <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, uh, you know, we have these kind of uh, areas that we go into from yeah. time to time. And and um, but I think I think um, everything that's come from that direction has a has a has quite a a solid foundation. Mm. The law I'm talking about, yes. and I I kind of interpret it in my own way. I think it, the law, and if anybody knows what what I'm talking about when I refer to the law, the, the idea of uh, do what thou wilt. I think it's something sacred and holy, and I believe that everybody is born with a God gift. You see, mm. and that life is the location of your God gift and the selfless execution of it. And I, that's what I think. Uh, I call it your, your one's true will. And I think. Um, it's something very sacred, you see. Uh, and I try to tell people that have lost their confidence in, in life that um, that they have a God gift. And the most important thing is is to find it. And, and and when you find it and you exercise your God gift, you are spiritually and biologically in harmony with the universe. In in my particular, um, uh, I agree. Uh, uh, outlook, if you like, you know. Yeah. So so it's something sacred to me, um, the law. And 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 I've seen people. And other schools interpret it in in, in, in in all sorts of different ways and, and sometimes in a very seedy fashion and it kind of upsets me mm. um, because I think it's something beautiful and holy, essentially. And, and would you say that people have lost their bearing on that sense so they need a, a compass and to find their way back to, to that way of thinking and that and that way of living and that, that Crowley was definitely one of those well, I, great I, teachers? I, I, do, you, I, do you, like... Are there others that you look in the same like Spare, for example? Do you? Oh, with Spare, obviously. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, but also, Carl Jung is a huge influence on my life. Hmm. I mean, uh, what's um, the magical tradition called? Location of one's holy guardian angel. Yeah. Uh, Jung referred to this as individuation, um, uh, which is basically the location of your. Your, your unconscious personality that each and every one of us has, and of course it's a different personality to your your, your conscious personality, mm. and, and it, it's familiarising yourself with that aspect of yourself. For example, I, I went through this process in, in 1982, that's why I went off to Iceland, a most misunderstood period, and if I hadn't gone to Iceland, I don't think I'd have um, ever been a composer. I think I would have honestly gone another 25, possibly 30 years without having that singular thought 
that I want to be a composer for symphony orchestra. Mm. Uh, and that came the day that I got to Iceland, the day I arrived on 26th of February 1982. Uh, Which is a, a really resonant date for you, isn't it? It is a resonant date because it's the date I started Killing Joke. And it's the date that, 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 that traditionally in the United Kingdom we plant seeds yeah. in terms of the, the, the calendrical cycle. So I see it as a, it's always an important day for me. And, and of course, it, um, I felt that it was right that I... I to a degree, an aspect of myself, I would personify Killing Joke um, by making that, if you like, one of our holy days. And it is, because it's the day that Paul and myself um, uh, invoked the, the force of Killing Joke, which has stayed with us all these years and sustained us 38 years. 38 yeah. years. When a young person is starting a band, there's no, there's no concept of that, is there? No concept of it. I mean, I, I can remember after being in Killing Joke, uh, four years feeling like it ancient that we've been going on for ages and ages and ages you know by the time we reached our third album I felt the band was ancient did you feel like <laughs> did you feel like there was gonna be when you first started it was there was there like an agenda where almost where where you saw it that we're gonna go to here that we, we're gonna achieve this 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 and this and that's it then we're done I don't well, suppose that? that's, a, that's a very interesting point. I don't suppose at any stage in my career I've ever thought of the day when we're not together. Hmm. Actually, when I think about it now, I can't think. There's any time I've thought, oh yeah, well when the band breaks up and I go off and do that, I've never ever thought about that. Hmm. You know, there's been times when Killing Joke has been sort of for a short time taken away from me. Um, like Iceland was one of them when I kind of gave up Killing Joke for a while because I had to do this this individuation thing um, and then there was another period where I was actually fired from Killing Joke if, 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 if you look back at the history and at those times uh, you know you just have to kind of let go and you realise that actually how can you not be part of Killing Joke when it's in your soul it's quite ridiculous really but yeah. um, but I've had to let go at different times just think well maybe it won't happen again but but no, uh, I, I, when I met the guys, the feeling was is that even when Paul left, that, that I knew he would come back and I knew we would all um, uh, face the last battle together, hmm. as it were. You know, it's it's so incredible that uh, that that the band has such a long history, and and and. You know, you, you achieved so many things that that uh, at that time when people and now people would start a band and go, well, we need to do this and we need to have this kind of, we need to have a hit, we need to we need to travel the world and we need to play shows to this many people and it's almost like a checklist. It gets to the point where and it, and it can be a huge source of frustration for a lot of people, I think, because they're not cut out for it. But the thing that I find amazing is that, that with the band's long history, you've done all those things. Mm -hmm. Youth was a big youth was a big force in in um, reaching all the milestones. When you know when you're in a band and you do your first New York show and mm. this kind of thing, youth was always the one who's going. Come on, we have to do this and we have to do that. You know, he was always the. It was everyone's got their role in Killing Joke. Yeah. Uh, most people don't realise that Geordie's always looked after the equipment and he pushes roadies out of the way and he gets his toolkit and he mends everything himself. And it, right from the beginning, he used to fix my keyboards and all the amps. Uh, and that was his role. My kind of role was hustling. Everyone's got different roles. Paul's was to look after the the accounts, and, and youth's role was also hustling. So we had the two rats that did all the hustling. Yeah. Everyone's got their kind of roles, and it's still the same 
today, you know, there were, Geordie gets pissed off with the roadies, he gets his toolkit out, pushes them out of the way and fixes it himself still, you know. Well, that, that's the thing, it's like, that is, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the epitome of what punk rock should have been for a start. It's taking the reins and, and the idea of the, of people fulfilling these separate roles wasn't necessarily there, but and that's probably why bands haven't. Hey, look, I can remember when I was uh, 19 in the band living in the squat, I remember trying to write one day everything I felt and realising that my command over the English language was, was really quite appalling. Because, uh, you know, I left school at 15, hmm. and so I didn't really complete my, my basic high school education. Uh, so, like, Killing Joke became the sort of school. It's like, it's the invisible college I refer to it as, you know, yeah. um, because that's exactly what it's been for all of us. Hmm. Uh, you know, when you think of Killing Joke's first record that we, we produced it ourselves and we wouldn't even entertain the idea of another producer, hmm. uh, you know, and, and so we were learning skills all the time and we were just hungry to learn all the skills ourselves so we, we could do everything ourselves. Hmm. I mean, you just don't see this in bands these days, you know. Uh, and the Renaissance principle of, you know, people like youth who like, literature, poetry, and well, all the band, and, and have just got a broad interest uh, from the esoteric to, well, you know, world events and geopolitics and this, I mean, uh, they're, they're very, very interesting individuals in the band. Yeah. We, uh, and and we, we actually, of course, I realise it now, we, we actually sh have so much in common. You only realise it when you look at other bands, really. Yeah. <laughs> How much you've got in common. Uh, I haven't seen the guys in uh, in the band this year, and I can tell you I, I will be seeing them somewhere around about 24th of May, and I'm really missing them all, and they're the best company. And when I think of this world, my world now, and I think of company, mm. like, those guys that make me laugh my head off, they're, they're, they are actually my best friends, but you don't get an easy time with them. It's the kind of friendship where everybody turns on each other, and they won't hold back on weak points, and uh, like it's very challenging, very trying. Uh, um, but, being but, in Killing Joke, it's not straightforward. Uh, doing an album in Killing, any album, is the most traumatic thing you can. You have to take a huge, deep breath in. It's it's incredibly traumatic for everybody. Hmm. I don't know why it has to be like that. I wish it wasn't actually, but it is every fucking time. <laughs> yeah, every yeah. time. <laughs> but then that's almost like. Uh... Looking at it in a in a ritualistic way, maybe the cathartic means to to make great art, perhaps maybe that's why it is such a challenge. Maybe that that friction. It, it's absolutely friction. Friction um, is the things that we don't agree on that make the music how it is, hmm. not the things we agree on. I'm yeah. sure it is, and, and, and there's an energy between the four of us that when it locks in something. I remember the first jam; it was like this. The first jam when it really locked in, it was like the universe opened. And everybody who walks into the room, because loads of uh, external people walked into the room and saw Killing Joke's first rehearsal when it really locked in, and it was like the universe opened. Like I said, it was just it was the most exhilarating experience of my life. All of us. It just When the four of us get together, that's that weird chemistry thing. I guess it must be the same with Pink Floyd or any of the big bands or whatever. Uh, something happens. Now, you can change one person and it doesn't happen the same way yeah. quite the same way I mean there's no disrespect to my bass player because youth's the most original bass player in the world but it would be easier with any other bass player in the world but it wouldn't be the same Yeah, you know um, youth's done all the wrong things all his career and it works and it, here's a guy who's got an amazing 
amazing sound uh, just by virtue of his own limitations hmm. <laughs> you know, and, that, and using it for his benefit and it just works I don't ask me why sometimes it's not even in tune but it still works yeah it's one of those funny things there's weird chemistry things um, and, and, and all I can say to artists out there once they find a really magic chemistry with someone else is stay together keep that musical friendship going for as long as possible because it's such a rare thing hmm. it's and, so precious and and it would be a rare thing as well that, that you would you would achieve the maximum that you could within those first few sort of founding sort of steps anyway with the band. Sure. If, if that, and, if that. And know, now everything right. seems so precious. I mean, I was listening to some program uh, uh, a couple of months ago, and they were, it, it was it was some American survey where they discovered that basically rock musicians live, on average, about twenty five years less than than other normal mortals, and um, <laughs> and, and, and so. So it it made me think how precious Killing Joke is, and um, like Geordie, they just don't make people like Geordie anywhere in the world. I mean, you you get people like Jimmy Page and some of the greatest musicians on on the planet. They don't know how Geordie does it. This this guy who's just some, he's a humble person, Geordie, but he's I think he's the greatest living guitarist on the planet, in my personal opinion. Is the, the, the see him while you can. I think Jimi Hendrix would be in the front row with his mouth open if he saw Geordie play. Is that because, going back to when, when you were getting the band first together... Mm. Well, Geordie hadn't played with a band before, Killing Joke. Yeah, that's something that blew my mind in the yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. He never played with a band. He never played with bass or drums before yeah. before, before Youth and Big Paul. But I, I saw that, that you were looking for to collaborate with others, and probably quoting this very badly from the book, but you said that, that can channel primeval and elemental forces. Sure. Which is which is not what most people look for when they're, when they're first starting a band, but that is what I think is the case, and that's why the it's band funny. is what Big it Paul is. Big Paul was looking for this as well. Yeah. He, 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 the sound of the earth throwing up was one of Paul's um, <laughs> references. Uh, 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 um, you know, we were looking for the same thing. It's... it's, it's it, 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 it's one of those strange things. I have to be honest, I believe I've reincarnated with the rest of the band. As I'm part Indian origin, the idea of the transmigration of the soul is, is, is a fact of life for me. But I guess Caucasians and Western people have a problem with it. But I, I, I feel I incarnated with the guys and I would have met them under any circumstances and that we, we're meant to live our lives together now. We're all meant to be together. Uh, in this incarnation, I feel that very, very strongly with Killing Joke. Yeah. I felt it from the second I met Paul Ferguson and I met the and the rest of the guys. They are my spiritual brothers, and and for better or for worse, we're in this together. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well. Um, the the band that was that were kind of born out of an era when it was like, it was such a like an awful point. I remember growing up as a kid and being in school and. And and ha and watching films about the imminent nuclear war mm. and and I what's going to happen. Go. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because it was and it just was such a you know everyone talks now that it's like oh it's terrible now we're living in a climate of fear the news the media everybody's pumping you just full of fear 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 so that you can be controlled and that is true I believe. It is. It is strategies of sustained tension. I believe yes. they call them. Um, That's uh, a much uh, more eloquent way of putting it. Yes, but, um, that, that is what is happening now. It's true. Yes.
I mean, the guy who was behind it was, it was a guy called Kurt Lewin, who, uh, um, uh, who started the Tavistock Institute, and he said basically, um, uh, if we subject a population um, uh, to fear uh, all the time, we, we should we, we bombard them with shocks. Um, they revert to a tabula rasa, which means a blank slate, as it were. Mm. Uh, and they, 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 they revert to a, a childlike mindset in which they're more malleable and easier to um, manipulate, as it, you know. And that's basically, since 9-11, what I believe is, is happening. This is basically all arranged by think tanks to keep people in, the, in, this, in this perpetual state of anxiety. But don't you feel that that's been going since... Since long before recent events, I mean, it just seems. To well, have yes, ramped yes, up. yes, it it just seems of course it has done, more. but but it's been ramped up certainly yeah. uh, uh, with the neocon agenda, basically, yeah. which is alive and kicking um, uh, with Obama as well, because we, we we all well and know. When, when I was looking at all these things and putting things together and trying to work out what I was going to talk to you about, invariably I, I can't help. I find it very hard to focus on things without shooting off well you can you can you, but i feel that's go off at tangents that's but, okay but, not, I, um, but you're not allowed to ask questions in this current climate mm. you know um you're not you're not allowed it's not encouraged at all you you're you're either ridiculed as a conspiracy theorist or uh, if you if you persist uh, it affects your health <laughs> but what i was thinking about when um when i was thinking about that that sort of cold war and the in the the nuclear threat i then started you know, I kind of was going off, and and then there's a, there's a thing where you say about um, where you uh, mention Oppenheimer in the book as mm -hmm. well, and and uh, an interesting thing w was saying um, that when it was comic, when he you know he, he's very famously quoted as, from the Mahabharata, yeah, saying the mm -hmm. line from the Bhagavad Gita. For, for people people who aren't aware of it. Uh, Robert Oppenheimer, uh, who you. developed um, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the the first atomic bomb, uh, there was a lot of secrecy surrounding the Manhattan Project, and uh, there was a, a question and an answer um, period at one of the uh, universities, and people didn't know anything about the Trinity Project or the Manhattan Project at that stage, and they asked Oppenheimer. They said, "Was the the." The Manhattan Project, the bomb exploded on the Manhattan Project, the first bomb to be exploded, atomic bomb. And Oppenheimer said famously, well, yes, in modern times, of course. And then he started reciting from the Mahabharata. It was an incandescent column of flame that shone brighter than 10,000 suns. And he was off. Yeah. And of course, um, after that, he was discredited by the CIA and he didn't do the hydrogen bomb project that was passed over to um, Edward Teller. After that, uh, uh, but but the fact that you had such a a, a great scientist, um, he could see that uh, basically there'd been a, a nuclear war in prehistory, um, uh, certainly recorded in the Mahabharata, and of course in the Bible with Sodom and Gomorrah. There's, there's also evidence that, uh, that, 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 that there was um, a nuclear war in uh, at one point uh, uh, on planet Earth uh, in in ancient times. Yes. I think it's fascinating because as soon as you look into that and, and you look into mythology and folklore, uh, and it does seem to be very apparent that you know that there were these things where people were referred to as, as being gods and it would just seem to be that actually they were just very smart and technologically advanced and like the Tuatha Dé Danann that, yes. that, that arrived in Ireland mm -hmm. in shining ships and 
and then uh, I think it was Noadu that had his hand lopped off and it was fine because somebody just made him one out of metal that worked exactly the same as a real hand and then you suddenly go well they didn't have metal then that, that's robotics yeah, yeah. isn't it that's right you know and it and it just seems that every culture starts to reference that well, yes, um, um, Forbidden Archaeology, that's uh, uh, um, Michael Cremo is the person to talk to about this. Yeah. Uh, but he's a very famous uh, person who's, who's spoken about Forbidden, forbidden Archaeology. Now, you know, when they discover ancient artefacts that don't fit into um, the orthodox chronology of history, they, they are ignored or sidelined. And this is really fascinating. Yeah. It's like... Um, it's like this huge pyramid they found by the Azores that's underwater. Um, nobody wants to know about any more new pyramids or the pyramids of Bosnia um, that, that are quite real that most people aren't aware of. No, um, people don't want to know about these things. And, and, of course, the media doesn't want to know about these things either because, again, it doesn't fit into um, the accepted um, <coughs> chronology of history. You know, that we are the apex of the pyramid and all civilization has been a crescendo to this point and we define uh, the most uh, advanced yeah. civilization. This bullshit. But then it also, because it throws up a terrifying prospect that we think that we're just going to keep moving upwards and forwards and, and that, that there's no, at no point are things going to... Is it needed? Well, it is actually needed that, that everything has to slow down or well, be of course, shot, all, everything will, uh, Our whole per perception of our, our, uh, mankind's history will change um, once disclosure occurs. Hmm. Disclosure being um, the, the notion when it is accepted on a widespread basis that mankind is not alone, has never been alone, hmm. uh, and uh, that we, we, we do have... Um, uh, we do have communication with uh, with other civilizations from, from the stars. <clears throat> Certainly, um, Edgar Mitchell and uh, uh, other people in the Disclosure Project have revealed this. Uh, mm. You know, one of the astronauts says uh, we, we, we've made contact with people from the stars. What are we to make of this? When what an astronaut says this, what are we to make of all the people in, in the Disclosure Project that talk about the UFO phenomena? So it's an exciting time. This twenty first century, we will eventually disclosure will come and and, and mankind will realize um his his place in the cosmos and i believe that yeah. this is this is ahead of us i know that uh the people that actually entertain that as a as a uh, as a truth and i personally do this is exopolitics yes yes because it you know the, the, it then throws up the thing of everyone's like oh it will never happen because there'll be widespread chaos as people mm -hmm. freak out as they have to reevaluate their entire lives but then there's the the thing about um the idea that the the, the media is drip feeding the idea and the concept of it to the point where you know you see so many science fiction tv shows you watch so many films about outer space that when it finally comes people That's are just right. like everyone's just like oh, I knew it was going to happen anyway I think they've done all the tests <laughs> uh, if you expose uh, human beings to um, like a big shock suddenly they find they're not alone it would have, uh, certainly have an impact on 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 our global economy yeah uh, for sure so I think that, that um, acclimatising the population to the inevitable it's, it's, it's been the right approach really yeah. You know, people think you're mad. For example, to give you an example, um, um, my brother is a, is is a famous scientist. Yeah. Now, I could not have a conversation with my brother um, uh, uh, about um, the extraterrestrial phenomena. He'd say, he'd say you were barking mad, and you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't have a conversation with him. 
but he's a particle physicist, right? Is that he's correct? A, he's a quantum physicist. My apologies. See, I find that quite surprising because if if you were to to, to be dealing with these concepts that 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 s- seem very very alien to most people, that that you couldn't take that into consideration that that in such a vast expanse of of, of universes that. That there's just this oh, they, the, uh, my, my, my brother would accept the, the, the possibility of it, oh, okay. but but to, to say that, that, that it's been happening, that it's been happening for <laughs> yeah. a while. Um, uh, I don't think you get more than probably four or five seconds before he left the, the room, really. Yeah, yeah. That must make for an interesting Christmas dinner. <laughs> oh, now you hit on it. No kidding. You know, um, we kind of fell out over 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 certain subjects. My brother and myself. Uh, you know, uh, and I'll be honest about it. I mean, I'm a person. I believe my brother should ask questions as a scientist, mm. and I'm I'm still amazed that the World Trade Center Seven, no, no plane hit it, and it free fell into its own footprint. Mm. And and again, World Trade Center Seven, it was announced on the BBC that it, that it exploded 20 minutes before it did. How do they know? Premonition. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny when we talk <laughs> about these subjects because I can just I find them fascinating. Uh, I find it fascinating that, that, that everybody just goes all tight when you talk about the whole 9-11 thing because it, it's basically like talking about Tibet and China, isn't it? Mm. Uh, you know, it, it's a no-no. Yeah. We, we, we're not encouraged to sort of question, question anything, you know. Uh, I, think, I think now, though, that as terrible a place as the internet can be, I think it, it actually at times can be a force for good and I think that those kind of questions are, are being asked repeatedly and theories perhaps not answers being put forward. But where it's going I don't know. I mean yeah. I, 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 I think that we're still living in, in, in a neocon agenda. Yeah. You know um, basically I think that we're on the verge of, of, of some kind of military action somewhere because I mean all, all the resources on the planet have been quantified uh, and there's only so many resources there and now it's a land grab isn't it hmm. uh, you know the corporations are looking at Russia and the Arctic uh, and um, uh, and Russia's uh, current leadership uh, doesn't want to work in harness with a unipolar world and so it, it's creating a geopolitical problem at the moment and I and I truly hope everything is going to be okay. But it's a very exciting climate to um, go to Russia in and invite uh, Killing Joke's audience to come and join me in Russia while I while I uh, um, record uh, uh, Killing Joke's music with symphony orchestra. Yeah. And uh, they, I'm really looking forward to being having the ultimate Cold War experience um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in St. Petersburg. Uh, you know, I'm. On the 9th and 10th of uh, July, we're doing the White Knights concerts, which is, is a floating stage in front of the Tsar's Palace. And you go on stage, the orchestra goes on stage about midnight, and all, all the audience are the other side of the lake. And uh, 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 the orchestra is kind of mic'd up through a big PA system. And it's an amazing, amazing experience. And it, it, the, the concerts start at midnight, and of course, it's still light then, being the White Knight concerts. And. Uh, the president always turns up to one of the, 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 the two big events of the year, classical events of the year, uh, and and then after this, I'm I'm recording with St. Peter's State, uh, State Orchestra, um, two really big works, 
um, the Killing Joke, uh, uh, symphonic Killing Joke, uh, and then I'm going to do a violin concerto. And uh, yeah, I think I think doing Killing Joke's music in Russia at this time, um, recording it over there, uh, I, I couldn't think of a, a a better a better background environment to um, record this music and to share it with um, some of the gatherers, some of the Killing Jokes fans yeah. in this recording experience. I'm I'm so looking forward to it. I'm thrilled to bits about it. Um, you know, it's great to be alive. So, uh, <laughs> yes, so many of my yeah. uh, the people I've seen in my career have passed on to the other world, and they're waiting for me in the other world. And uh, but but my time's not finished here yet. So I'm uh, I want to I want to do as many concerts as possible with Killing Joke. I want to record as many records with symphony orchestra as possible, and um, to continue the work, uh, I shall push Killing Joke until each album will get better than the last one. I swear, I promise, each record will be more intense, more powerful than the one before. How is it possible 38 years later, you say, but it is possible, and we've been doing it. Look at the records we've recorded since uh, the year 2000. They've just got better and better, and, uh, um, and I believe the best is ahead of us still. What was something that I, I found interesting the other day, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure if you're aware or if you're even bothered, but when I was looking on Spotify mm -hmm. and you look at the band and Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And the way that that works, you know, it will always put the top five, the top five songs or the most played songs. Okay. And um, Euphoria is number four. Is that right? Which I found amazing. And, is that right? And... And quite a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Because it just it goes to show that with such a body of work that's that has gone across such an expanse of time, you know, I'm going to do that in your 38th year. Yeah. That that, that, <laughs> that not only is it relevant, but but it's it's connecting as much as anything else from the past. There, there doesn't seem to be like you know um, that that kind of nostalgia with the band I mean there is obviously because because of the legacy but also what I mean is that the new works are viewed as in the vital. same light as your work. yeah as vital well, it's a wonderful thing isn't it I mean I, I really think that Killing Joe's got a lot to say it's still I mean uh, I'm excited about the next record that I do with Killing Joe because I know it'll be the monster of monsters yeah um, and, and these are these records the last three have just been a prelude to the next one you know, working with Geordie 
the longer you give him, the better it's going to be. And he comes up with chords and, uh, and, and riffs. I don't know what planet they come from. Uh, uh, I really don't. And, mm. um, it, it's such a pleasure to work with this guy. He, uh, you know, he, he, it, 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 it's going to be great orchestrating Killing Joke so I can show the other three what great composers they are. Yeah. And, and it would be a big pleasure to conduct and it. For how, them. how long have you been working on that? I haven't started yet. <laughs> I start on Wednesday. <laughs> and then Wednesday's kind of all in mind. I said, I go around. You know what I do before I do classical music? I, I go from cafe to cafe. I take a little notebook of mine with me, and 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 I I kind of dream. How should it be? How should it sound? And I just sit in cafes and I just imagine what it, what it should sound like. And I make sketches and notes like this. And I do this for three four weeks before I put pen to paper always mm. and so I know where where I'm going I kind of dream it before I do it yeah you know? yeah well that would that was another thing in the book that I've, that um that's that, that resonated with me and struck a chord was and it's like I was saying at the very start that um th this sort of discussion is something that normally happens later in when I'm having a talk with musicians is the ones that that agree that that when inspiration is probably the most um, palatable way of saying it to some people strikes you know that can be at any time sure and, and do you know what I'm saying do you mm. know what I mean and and, um, and something in in the book that, that that struck me was when you were saying about um and you've said about your holy guardian angel and and, and that concept that um, when a when a voice tells you ideas I don't mean an actual voice. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it is for some people. When, when the spirit comes in, you just, yeah. you're compelled to quickly get it down, quickly fast, and, and then I do nothing. I, I stop, I sit there, and then when the spirit's on me, I go and do it, and, it, and until it stops again. Mm. And then I stop again. This, this is how, how, I, how the creativity kind of works with me, anyway. And, and, and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you my secret, and probably Geordie's secret. The best way to write great music is to forget, forget all about music mm. and make your life colourful. Go to the places that, you want to, that you've dreamt about going to. Live out your dreams. And I think when you start doing this, you, you've written the music inside you already and you just need to download it. Mm. You know? So the best way to write music, forget all about music and make your life beautiful, colourful, adventurous and dramatic. Mm. You know? And they, they, these are the ingredients, I think, that, that you have to feed your soul with you know yeah. new territories uh, new landscapes a fresh breeze blowing into your life you know these these kind of things they trigger different things well that that's the thing isn't it because that's one of the the beautiful things about being in a band if it's having success that you get to do those things and yet it's almost as if you know that idea of traveling the world and experiencing cultures and and places and people Look, we haven't always had success. We've had terrible times in our career. It hasn't changed anything. Mm. You know, we just stuck the boot in and got, gone on a straight line. Mm. Money or no money, the same thing's going to be done. Yeah. You know, and it's been that, that approach. I can remember in in, in in 1990, we couldn't get a record deal to save our lives anywhere. Nobody was interested in... Uh, and then you just keep going and then it locks in again. Yeah. It, 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 again, it's cliched. But a winner never quits and a quitter never wins. And it's true. Because most of the people that you see who are successful many years on, they just haven't given up. 
And it, normally they're successful by default. <laughs> you know, there's no one else there. Yeah. They've all died. <laughs> I think I think another testament to the band is the influence that you've had, and and when when you've got like these artists that have achieved great things and and have made like great works themselves, and then will cite your band as being not only one of the reasons why they started making music, but but have, have affected the way their own music sounds. That's got to be a, a gratifying thing, hasn't it? Or does it not bother you? Do you not even consider uh, it? I tell you, I'm going to speak for my colleagues as well, we don't spend too much time thinking about that. Yeah. Every, everything that concerns Killing Joke is ahead of us. Yeah. Not behind us. You know, the things that interest us and, and glories and those nice things where, you know, where big bands play your music and those kind of things. Well, it's kind of nice, isn't it? Yeah, and that's so you don't get to. You know, you're as good as your next song, as your next record, as you, what's ahead of you. Which goes back to the, the thing about you know, with euphoria being. I think also, uh, poverty and hardships have made great music too. Yeah, we're killing joke. I don't think Julie's had it easy, and I know I certainly haven't had it easy with killing joke. And I think that if we got to a stage where we're too comfortable I think our music would start to sound safe hmm. so it's one of those things but I don't want to be in a state of like <laughs> of, of suffering and struggling all the time but it's the way it seems to be hmm. it's the way uh, you it's know all... it's all about empathy because you know I know what it's like to, to be without anything I know what it's like um, uh, to be broke I rarely have more than a couple of grand in my bank account. Rarely, and sometimes not even that. And so, most of my friends, uh, they don't have much work, and uh, and I, I see most of our friends generally uh, struggling in this in this world to make ends meet, and and these things affect all of us. And, uh, and I think it's that sense of empathy with with other people out there. They're struggling in this world. And Killing Joke, sometimes when I hear those tones and the resonance of Killing Joke, is the only thing that makes sense sometimes in my life. Mm. And I know in, that I can't live without Killing Joke. I have a need for Killing Joke. But uh, it's, uh, you know. it's, it seems like such a such a dichotomy in the sense that you, you know you're composing residence in in Prague. Well, at the moment in Russia. But oh, okay, yes. in Russia. Um, and and you've. You write symphonies and and concertos and 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 then you play in in a band as well and I think it's su such a beautiful balance because it almost seems in any other way it would feel like they were odds with each other because of I don't know maybe that's just my no no it's what, because it wasn't planned like that it's just the way it's landed yeah and how wonderful it is too because yeah. I, I I really like the world of orchestras and. The audience is so different from everything with Killing Joke. And then the concert halls are so different. Yeah. And it's so refreshing, that whole thing of first, you know, the orchestra goes on, then the leader goes on, and the orchestra tunes up. The whole ritual, that's part of my life. Before Killing Joke, I did classical music. Yeah. And that was my life, you know? So it's, 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 it's nothing new. It's the, the classical music is very much part of my life. And uh, uh, I haven't given it enough attention over the last... Ten years, but um, over the next ten years, 
I'm going to absolutely dedicate myself to the symphony orchestra as much as Killing Joke. And do you do you <laughs> do you feel that they they definitely complement each other and you get is it is it the same do you get the same kind of thing out of each each Oh no they're completely different. But but they but they seem to be in in harmony Compa- with they're each compatible other. with each yeah. other. Like well in, in the next in the next 8 weeks I've got to um, perform with Killing Joke and I'm also working with orchestra uh, but they don't really collide because they're so different mm. they're such different areas yeah. of, of music you know uh, no I'm very lucky but look there, there you go I mean look I'll be honest about it When it, before I was 15 uh, I had like um, uh, four offences you know brushes with the law and I, was, I looked like I was you know last time I went to court before I was 15, they were going to send me to, to uh, Borstal. Mm. If, if I hadn't got in, uh, uh, pursued my orchestral career, then I would have been in Borstal. I mean, things were looking pretty bad for me. Mm. Uh, and then when I consider everything that's come out of Killing Joke, which is, well, Killing Joke, again, is my university. You know, uh, Killing Joke was how I managed to study symphony orchestra. I raised the money from Killing Joke and I put that what little I made into studying orchestration. And so it's given me everything. Yeah. You know, the band has given me absolutely everything. Yeah. I think it's interesting as well, like like you were saying about, about the ritual of, of when um of when an orchestra is before a concert begins. Yeah. The the ritual of that and then that I know that you view like gigs with Killing Joker in a ritualistic Absolutely. manner. Absolutely, uh, not just the band and, and myself, but, but the audience as well. Yeah. Is, uh, they know what we're up to behind, backstage, and the whole thing of going to a Killing Joke concert is, is, is a ritual. It's, it's one constant in a changing world. Hmm. You know, a, a long career like Sugar Ray Leonard or uh, anyone really, it, 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 it's something that's deeply comforting because it's one thing that doesn't change year in, year out. There yeah. we are, Killing Joke's playing at Hammersmith or wherever, uh, and you can go and it, it makes us, I don't know, we all feel better with each other. Hmm. Uh, the, the ambience in a Killing Joke concert, I, I love the people, the audience that come, they're different to the individuals that go to a U2 concert. Hmm. You know, for example, the the, the idea of, of of treating a concert in a ritualistic manner is, I think, even if people aren't aware of it, I think there are certain bands that do it anyway, because of because of the the energy and it's a very primal thing. And most bands will say about thriving on the energy they get off off of a crowd, and and they probably only mean it in a, you know, in quite a glib way. But it is a truth. It is a real thing. I think it is, and you can really feel it. In you see, uh, you should be in a band too. Are you I in am. A band? Well, that's yeah. good. See, well, it, doesn't <laughs> ma- it doesn't really matter um, at what stage a band is at. Mm. I think that everybody should be in a band. When I started my career, everyone was in a band. Mm. Everyone you met, all your mates, yeah. everybody was in a band. It was a huge renaissance, and, and, and oh, just sharing music. Now only professional people make music, don't they? Well, <laughs> yeah. I feel now that that. That it's that we're in a in a very good top point of time in the sense that it's almost like that punk rock idea of well anyone can pick up a guitar you don't need to you don't you don't need to be Jimmy Page everyone would love to be Jimmy Page to be fair and have his library but not everyone can be Jimmy Page but that that wasn't a necessity 
and that and that was one of the things that fueled punk and i think now the opportunity for people is is to make you know they can make albums in their bedroom they might be dog shit but they but they have the opportunity to mm. do it and they can use the internet to put them out there they don't need a record label to do that but I don't even know what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, but it was so. <laughs> but now it's so eclectic. Yeah. And then because there was so there was fewer choices, there was more of a movement. Now everybody's got too much choice. Yeah. It seems to me that there's no movements. Yeah. But that works out well for Killing Joke. I mean, I, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't care what state the music industry's at. The worse, the better it is for me. But, uh, no one's doing what Killing Joke is doing. There, are, I think, I definitely think there's a, there's a few bands that. Um, that I would consider to be of uh, similar, not not musically, Outlook. yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's the other thing that blows my mind is that is that you were a band that had that outlook long before a lot of other people did, and also achieved things that that would never be able to be attained by bands with that mindset now. Why? And, why i don't know i think i don't know whether it was the time period i don't know you know they don't make human beings like that, <laughs> do they? i mean look, look at the individuality and the characters okay looking from the 60s the characters like jagger and just the individuality um is not the same there seems to be more uh, more of us uh, personalities seem to be more homogenous uh, and uh, normal and not as exciting or animated as they used to be is it was it just my imagination that the characters aren't the same now, are they? I, I don't. It's know. a different generation. I, I feel that I feel that individuality doesn't play such an important role anymore. I, uh, I don't think it does. Maybe. Yeah, I think I think it, we're moving to a time where uh, they they want to curtail people's individuality, well, and that's affecting art. Yeah. It's boring. Yeah, they're doing things that have been done before. There's no spirit of innovation. There's no experimental traditions nowadays. It doesn't seem to me like there's any real experimental schools with the music anymore. Uh, uh, you know, I think there is, but I, I think it's it's coming from a different mindset, maybe. So maybe it doesn't have Listen, that. Listen, man, it's not working. It's a limp dick. It's not happening. <laughs> uh, it's not happening, is it? But again, that's good for us because uh, you know. I get together with 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 with, with youth and Geordie, and I know we'll start making some of go off in another universe. Mm. We we just kind of jam until a monster is born, a musical monster, and mm. it always happens. It's just a question of putting the right people in one room, then it's going to happen. Yeah. Mm. Well, another thing I wanted to to brush on it, it like if you're good, you know, all right, good. Um, was the um. Again, going back to the ritualistic manner and, and also the uh, your on-stage, some people would say, persona. Well, I've never seen me. And I really go out of my way not to look at me through a screen, I have to tell you. Because it does seem like that, that it you do view it as, as it's a, it is very much a, another... A, an easier way, would say, would be in a different mindset. I'm just amazed how someone like me happens to be in this position. I don't know how the hell I got there. It was all a big one big mistake and it went... It, but it's beautiful yeah I think it's it's such a like a the the idea of, of putting on either makeup or ash or whatever might be to it hang. changes my mindset yeah for sure it does it is a mystical thing to to put on a mask and, and, and take in this like archetypal 
character yes. of, a, of a jester. But, but Jester makes it sound. No, that makes I it sound. I remember going on stage, mm. and I remember coming off stage. But I can tell you, I don't remember an awful lot in between. Yeah. Uh, unless someone throws a can at me or something, and it's my head, or which hasn't happened for a long time, or someone spits and it lands in my mouth. That happened once. It was like a public execution when I got I got the guy on stage. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's terrible. That seemed to be the thing with punk, didn't it? I didn't get it. Oh, it's disgusting it. in this way. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have to cover my keyboard with cling film because yes. people used to gob on stage so much. I used to get inside the keyboard, my hands would be slipping over. Oh, disgusting! That is horrendous. Disgusting. I, I like the idea of this, this other personality, in a sense. I don't know that I'd left necessarily like to hang out with him, but, but I like the idea of of invoking this other, yes, spirit. Well, it, it I have to say, like, after like... a Killing Joke concert, I feel the better for it. I feel that I've bathed my soul in fire, mm. and I feel cleansed, and I feel wonderful after a show. Uh, and, and, and I, I really do Killing Joke for spiritual reasons, mm. and it, I really, because I wrestled with it for a long time. I mean, we did, we did one concert back in 1980-81 in Hamburg, and. And there was about 500 people who couldn't get into the concert, and they smashed all the shop windows in the street, and it was the biggest fight. I mean, I've never done a concert where everybody in the audience is fighting. <laughs> and it's just like it's a soundtrack to to absolute extreme. But I'm the, I I saw about one and a half thousand people beating the crap out of each other. I never saw anything like it in my life. And we invited a record company that night as well. And they were standing right at the back of the hall watching this mayhem. And I remember after the concert saying to Big Paul, do you think we're doing the right thing? I mean, I had real doubts about the, 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 that Killing Joke was a force for good after that night. Hmm. And, and I went through a period of time where I had doubts about Killing Joke. And then I realized it was a force for good. And I couldn't have continued if I felt that yeah. there was anything negative about it. But I remember that night, I'd never seen anything like it, like one and a half thousand people all fighting. Normally you have one or two fights that break out, but I'd never seen it like this, where there's thousands of people and they're just like laying into each other. It was like, it was really, it was really bad. <laughs> it was really dark. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah. Why, why do you think that that, that provoke that why do you think the band provoke that in, in sometimes it can just be like a, I don't know where the planets are that night and, yeah. uh, uh, all pissed off people and it, it kind of triggers you know yeah I, I'm not really sure why it happened that night we've never had anything quite as bad since to be honest yeah um, that was one of the worst ones do you actually look at it that, like in mystical terms when, when you're on stage that, that there is this do you feel like my brain doesn't work when I'm on stage? I mean, yeah. it switches off. Uh, but do you think that? Do you think I'm not even there? Just, is that just being? I don't lost? think really. Is that being lost in the moment, or do you think it's something else? I think it's both. Yeah, I, th I think it's both. I certainly feel different to my normal personality when when I'm with Killing Joke. Something else comes through me. Yeah, but for sure it does. Because yeah. I, I started like thinking about that and and looking up different things like in, in the tarot and stuff and about the fool and and the seeker and and and, and what he represents and 
and it all just seemed like certain things jumped out just like it was just in the one book that I was reading but it was it just well, seemed to the like thought is it is connected to initiation I yeah. mean the word idiot means re re removing blindfolds hmm. that's what the word idiot actually means um so and for me the fool is like a is is an individual who's void there's nothing there it needs to be filled it is that, that that's what it is for me is the zero point energy of the fool. Mm. If you notice, for example, um, experts have very few options, but beginners have many options. Yeah. And th this is a way I understand the archetype of the fool. Also, you know, yeah. and also heroes normally die and fools survive. So it's a great archetype. Mm. And, and, and um, of course, the Joker's head headdress, that's the Hebrew letter Shin, of course, on, yeah. on, on, the, on the headdress. And this, this is a, a, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And they say that, uh, um, that the Holy Spirit is present when people are laughing. And that, that means a lot to me, too, because if you notice that when you laugh, there's no fear in your heart. Yeah. And that's why laughter and the term killing joke is something very sacred to me, yeah. you know, um, because there's the absence of fear. Yeah. It's funny you saying about um, about you know the the, the like uh, the not the tricorn but the, like the three armed hat yes. representing Shin. When I was one thing that really jumped out at me in the book was when um when you were talking about um the Periri moth. Yes. And and I thought what a, what an amazing thing to do. That, that you were you would paint a tree with treacle yeah and, and I'm into to, moths to, to catch a moth yeah and then and then house it in, in this area that, that would then attract male moths and then they would breed and then you would That's take right. the take the pupa away so yeah. that you could help propagate this this, I this to animal do it, that was uh, every time I go back home if I'm there for like five six months I try to do this cycle back on the island which I think is such a beautiful selfless thing but then I then I started looking into into that moth and um I don't know whether it's me f f tying things together but I thought I thought it was really interesting because it was like I found out that like these are these are like my visual notes for the the thing and it was I found out that the that the moth is is obviously a, a, a representative well it's the ghost moth Correct. That's right. The moth is sacred to the goddess Mart. Yeah. And that's why it's special to me. But then, it's, but then the the full card is Lamat. Lamat also the connection. We, yeah. That's right. And but, and the other connection I made was, I mean this is this might just be all bollocks, but I I enjoyed it. Was that um, I started looking up about the 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 caterpillar or the grubs? Did they live for like four the, years before the they lava. then? Yes. Before they then transform, and it's then and they live for such a short time. Because yes, the adult the, is very short period. Because the moth has no mouth, so that's it can't right. Feed. This moth has no mouth. Yeah, Which the male has no mouth. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I then and then the the tree that that they they have a preference for and where they got their name from the uh, is it the periri? Am, am I playing? Saying but, yeah, you're right. Bang on. In in Maori culture, that that is used in ceremony for. Funeral rites, that's and, right. and and that tied in with with the idea of the ghost moth as well. That's right, and the Periri moth is the, is the symbol of the goddess of music, Hinirakatori, also. Okay. So it, it, it stretches right out. It, yeah. It's a very sacred symbol, and, and in occult law, the moth 
uh, is like the the grasshopper um, is associated with with um, outside or exo forces, extraterrestrial mm. forces. Yes, which would then lead you to start questioning some of the things people talk about about experiences with DMT. Do you know much about that? Don't I've never had mean. that uh, those experiences. I've never done DMT mm. myself, but I have heard. Um, the, 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 this is, of course, um, what runs through your veins when you're dying, isn't it? Of yes. course, and triggers very much the same experience uh, Which, at the moment of death. But then people will often report like almost insectoid beings that they interact with. Is it's, that right? Yeah, and, I, and it, the other thing about it is they they originally thought it was the the brain that that, that made it. They thought it was in the, uh, the pineal. They did, yes, the pineal, the pineal gland. gland, didn't they? But yes. now recent studies have said that they think it's actually the lungs which make it which yes, then right. make me think about yogic practices with breathing and 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 hyperventilation mm -hmm. and maybe maybe that's you know a, a link but yeah anyway sorry that's no, but it's one. fascinating isn't it yeah it, it's, it's truly but, fascinating but something i thought about with with that moth as well with the larvae is it, it leaves a really distinctive shape in the trees <laughs> i looked it up and it's um it's like a distinctive shape, which is like a like the vowel, the Hebrew letter, which is vowel. Yeah, yeah, which is the, the letter for uh, like a like a is it like for a for a for a channel or ch like a tunnel, almost. Yes. Is it one of the things it represents? So and it's and it's almost like it's this visual representation of of that idea, of like this transformation. The, the moth is is sacred to me because I. I used to breed moths as, as a child. I was a member of Worldwide Butterflies in Sherbourne, Dorset. Yeah. And I used to have about 20 heated cages of, of caterpillars and, and butterflies and moths from all over the world. And I used to rear them and breed them uh, and be part of this program, which kind of inspired me, which was um, uh, to rear um, the common blue uh, and Adonis blue butterflies and to release them um, in certain areas of Great Britain. I was part of this program when I was a nipper, when I was younger. So they kind of influenced so my on. life. Later on because you see, butterflies and moths, they, 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 they the, the more diversity of species we see of them, they indicate uh, the health of an ecosystem. Yeah. And so when there are none, it means it, it, it's fucks, basically. Yeah. Know? It's a bit bit like the bee really I mean we're seeing less and less bees and yeah. Einstein said mankind will survive four years after the bee is uh, made extinct so I mean I didn't know that. That, that, that's where we are that's where we are in our modern world you know yeah uh, I, you know I, I think about um, I think about like my children having children I'm not a grandfather yet but I'm sure it's coming and 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 the, the, the world that my my grandchildren are going to inherit somehow it, we have space travel, we have all this fantastic technology, but what we need to do is we need to uh, the, we need to increase the bioorganisms that all life comes from because the bioorganisms that, that all life comes from on our planet are becoming less and less and less. And uh, at the moment we get we get all our food from one three hundredth of the planet. Yeah. One three hundredth of, pla of the planet Earth supplies all the food f for human beings, and so we have to find a way how to turn this around, how how, how to increase the microorganisms that are in soil. Uh, uh, otherwise, um, uh, uh, we're heading for extinction. And I can see why um, uh, that, that uh, in the U.S. Um, um, 
uh, and uh, companies like DARPA um, uh, think that the future of mankind is uh, uh, is a transhuman future mm. uh, because we won't survive. Well, that's because uh, we're destroying our planet mm. at such an alarming rate that um, possibly the only option left to humanity is is the transhuman future. Well, I I would. Personally, I like to challenge that. Yeah. I, I believe that we can we can increase the microorganisms and we can create uh, fertile oases all over the planet and uh, increase food supply, uh, uh, healthy food supply. I mean, you know, I'm really worried about the future. Well, you know, at the moment, you know, I, I don't know whether people are aware of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement that's happened in uh, in the Pacific, but but the, the equivalent that's going to happen here in the UK is called TTIP. And um, when this happens, basically, and it will happen, uh, you won't be able to know um, what's in your food, which is to say genetically mm. modified organisms will be in your food, and you won't be able to do an awful lot about it. A bit like the United States of America. You wonder why obesity is so rampant in the United States of America. Uh, it's because, basically, Islam Siddiqui, who's one of the major lobbyists uh, for Monsanto and DuPont and the rest of them, he was... Uh, Obama's chief agricultural um, advisor. Uh, this is the guy that um, uh, pushed uh, uh, for genetically modified organisms to be in Americans' food supply over the last 15 years. Mm. Uh, and uh, we can see what's happening uh, with the rate of obesity in America. That, that's coming here. Mm. That's coming yeah. to Europe. You know, uh, and people won't be able to do anything about it. You won't be able to um, monitor what's going into in, into your body or your children's bodies because uh, um, uh, because of these uh, these these trade laws where you won't be able to. Um, won't be able to advertise on the packet what's in the packet. You won't yeah. be able to say whether there's GMOs in there or not because um, basically uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement and TTIP has been penned uh, and uh, the architects of this were, were, were the people who benefit. I mean, it's been mm. written by Monsanto. Mm. You know, and uh, so I really worry about... Um, uh, the future of the world. I mean, for example, you're getting farmers now where uh, uh, genetically modified uh, seeds are blown over into the, into organic farms, and, and now they're being sued. Well, you can see what's going to happen next is they spray the air basically with nanoparticles. Different different diff different things are happening in our bodies as we speak now. There are nanoparticles into uh, in your body right now, uh, and, and and as they start growing, uh, basically. Uh, that's not yours. Somebody else has got a patent on that. Yeah. Uh, and so basically, what we're looking at in the future is is, is um, human beings will be uh, 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 will be owned under patents by companies like Monsanto. This is their this is their end game. Yeah. This, I believe this is their end game is to is to patent human beings. You're already getting people with Morgellons disease, where numbers are appearing in the hairs are grown out of their heads. Uh, you should check it on YouTube. It's happening. Morgellons disease. Uh, trying to see where this is coming. This is coming from nanoparticles that are being sprayed into the uh, into the atmosphere. This is very real. It's no conspiracy theory, and it's happening now. Well, this we can do very simple tests, you know, to tell whether there are nanoparticles in our bodies. Uh, very simple. I've, I've got a doctor who's prepared to do it. I'm going to do it quite soon, actually. I'm going to take a couple of doctors and, and show the world that, that we all have nanoparticles in our bodies. How they got there, mm. that's another big discussion, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because then that throws up the idea about someone like Kurzweil saying that... that, that um, well, Kurzweil, well, he, he's basically invo involved with DARPA. 
it's already happening now they're spraying they're spraying the air with his with, with his nanotechnology that he's he, he's masturbating about Kurzweil is creepy well, I don't believe in his ideas at all I think it, 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 it's it's sinful what he's doing it is creepy though because it just seems like this whole driving motive for for uh like pushing forward with all these ideas is is so that he can bring his father back to life. Uh, yeah, he uh, he seen, believes that, that baby boomers uh, can be immortal. Kurzweil believes this. Yeah, uh, and, and he believes that he's going to be immortal. These kind of people, I mean, they they seriously got just one half of their brain working. Well, the thing is as well is as soon as you start to get, look into that world, and you think about the idea of um, AI coming into existence which is now already you it's know. already making major decisions of course and then at that point when's the decision made that it's like well this lot are just fucking ruining everything of course <laughs> which sounds like a, a terrible script from a sci-fi movie the, I mean I mean you know science is, has become so deregulated mm. we're, uh, we're we're in a very very dangerous state and ironically the only way to get out of this state is if we if we evolve towards becoming a, a one world order it's the only way we're going to be able to decommission 459 nuclear power stations on the planet mm. is if we have some form of global governance it's true it's ironic also mm. but then there's different models with that isn't there yeah, there's the Rockefeller model which seems to be a bit extreme and then there's Gandhi's <laughs> model um, of a council of nations which, I, which is more appealing to somebody like me yeah, you know, I still believe in very much in tribalism. Um, uh, you know, and I still believe that the tribal people of any given area, the indigenous people of any given area, are the best people to look after that area. So I'm not sure I believe in the idea of, uh, 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 you know, new demographics, enforced migration, and migration used as a weapon. I, uh, it's all sad for me. Hmm. Uh, you know. Um, uh, it, 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 it's sad for me to see everything changing so fast and these great ancient cultures being being um, part of a, some sort of experiment of a think tank by subject, subjecting them to other cultures and, and changing the demographics of whole regions like the European Union. No mm. question it's happening um, it's in, in our European Union. But when people kick against that, it's always the ugly side of it that, that rears its head, don't you find? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult to say anything about um, uh, what, 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 what's happening now. I mean, I, I tend to um, feel a, a great sense of empathy with um, the migrants who come into Europe myself. Yeah, of course. I, I would do the same. I don't blame them in the side. What, what saddens me is uh, suddenly... We've got to this time in history where, you know, when when someone's come into a lot of money, like I don't know, um, Bill Gates or or uh, anyone who's successful, for some reason Ted Turner, um, they they feel it's their God-given right to be able to um, uh, start talking about eugenics and who should die and who shouldn't die once they made a few bob for themselves. And, and I, I think this is sad because what what's this what this is leading to is is basically saying that. Human life has no value. I mean, certain people in think tanks they refer to uh, they refer to uh, uh, people who have no jobs or anything as useless eaters. Uh, and 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 the whole way we look at um, human beings is we look at them as not. Well, there's no humanity in our hearts hmm. left. There's no kindness left. There's too many people on the planet. Even Bob Geldof said this, and someone has to go. You know, so we're looking at all. Uh, 
our planet and we're saying, oh yeah, you, you shouldn't be here, you shouldn't be here. And but that's basically what's going on, isn't it? You know, mm. I mean, in, in Australia, you, you, you've got solo mothers. Um, they don't get their dole unless they take their uh, unless they've uh, had all their children vaccinated or the, and they're vaccinated. And you've got these kind of disturbing trends that are happening now. You know. Yeah. You know. Uh, you you get Bill Gates um, saying that basically if vaccines do their job properly we'll have 20 percent less people on the planet and what does that mean yeah what does that mean if vaccines do their job properly we'll have 20 percent people less on the planet mm. what does it mean it, 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 you know for for, for for your brother's son or our children you know I mean what does it mean? I mean, it, it, depopulation is with us, isn't it? It's yeah. happening, isn't it? Uh, everything from codex to spray in the sky to um, putting fluoride in the water and then putting aluminium in the food supply so that we die of, well, it's a slow shutdown of the human immune system, yeah. aluminium fluoride poisoning. Yeah. And that's basically what's happening, isn't it? But they can keep the economy ticking over at the same time. I, you know, I, I believe that's what's going on myself. I, I speak about out yeah. loudly about these things. Because um, I feel it's the right thing to do. I tell you why I think it's the right thing to do. Because my father uh, brought me up this way. He said, you know, there was Hitler, and you have to speak out when you see these bad things happening. You know, mm. when I see like, why have they got like nine hundred brand new FEMA camps across America? built by Halliburton with red zones and blue zones. Why have they got this? And they want this to be in all NATO countries. To, you know, uh, yeah. I don't like this trend. I don't like it. I've got, I don't like the militarization of the police force. It seems to be happening everywhere. Yeah. Czech Republic, New Zealand. And this is all coming from the Pentagon HQ, you know, uh, basically, you know, get with the program. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But then that's a great reason for the band to still exist. As you can see, I'm still pissed off. <laughs> I think that's a good point to finish on. Probably. Otherwise, you'd be stuck here forever. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, mate. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So that was Jazz Coleman of Killing Joke. You should definitely try to pick up his book, Letters from Scythera. Current Killing Joke album, Pylon, is out. And the band are going to be playing in London at Brixton Academy on November the 4th, which I'm definitely going down to. If you could subscribe to uh, Swim on iTunes, um, you can also do that on acast.com. But if you do it on iTunes, it means that you'll get the next episode the minute I upload it. And if you could leave a review on there as well, that would be beautiful and much appreciated. Next episode is with Sam Carter of Architects, and we're going to be talking about their new album, All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us, plus Sea Shepherd. 